Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have crew member Andy. Hello. And we have special guest returning to the show, Lucia Lorenzi. Hey. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so... Lucia, if you remember, joined us last time for our episode on Barkley. Today, we are going to be talking about sexual assault in Star Trek, which is a heavy topic and honestly one that we put off for quite a while because it is difficult to like rewatch these episodes for some of us um, and to talk about this topic. But given all of the recent events around Me Too and, you know, various people's stories that were being shared, we felt it was you know, time that we tried to tackle this issue. So we wanted to put it up front that this could be a triggering episode. So if you need to skip it, that's totally cool. And if you don't, that's great. It's an important discussion. So before we get into that, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch along commentaries. Visit patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So... As I said, today we're going to talk about sexual assault in Star Trek, and we're not going to be able to cover it all, because I think you can say, unfortunately, there are actually a lot of examples, like so many examples. And I even, I went to Memory Alpha, and I looked at their list of instances of sexual assault, and then we solicited listener comments, and there were so many more suggestions that weren't in that article. Like, I think we have more than 20 just in original series and TNG. So we decided to limit it to original series and TNG for today and as well as the movies from those eras. And um, the other decision that we made is that um, because there are so many examples and because they're treated really differently in Star Trek and in society, we're going to talk about sexual assault against men in a separate episode so that we can do it justice because it is a real legit issue Men who experience sexual assault have a whole range of other pressures on them, and it is a serious thing we need to talk about. Just like I said, in Star Trek, it's like treated very differently, and there are so many more examples of sexual assault against women that we wanted to try and limit the scope of our discussion a bit for today. Anything to add to the context piece or the background? I'm just going to be real, real with y'all. I usually try and go into our episodes like... We're going to have fun. We're going to talk about Star Trek. Let's make jokes and laugh. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that for this episode. Uh, this stuff makes me really upset and really, really angry. So just be aware that this might not be light, light and fluffy like some maybe of our other topics. But it's also something that I care really deeply about. So hopefully we'll get some good discussion going, even if it's not um, something that you'll laugh on the bus about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I would say that the best thing so far about doing this is that there were so many awesome listener comments when we solicited them on Facebook. And so we're going to put in a lot of them into this discussion. Like, I think there are maybe more than 20 cases that we could possibly discuss in TOS and TNG. So we're not going to be able to go super in depth in all of them, but there's a lot of great comments. So looking forward to sharing some of those with you. All right. So um, before we get started, we should probably just, you know, set some basic definitions. So uh, does anyone want to chime in with what we mean by sexual assault when we're talking about that? 
Sure. I mean, I think that one of the interesting things about talking about sexual assault in sci-fi and in Star Trek in particular is that there are so many incidents of violation. Mm -hmm. Um, People's bodies get taken over. But within that, I think that we need to be specific about sexual assault as sort of related to but different. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess the most basic definition that I would give is um, any sexual contact without explicit consent. Um, And that contact can be in any um, number of manners. Um, But yeah, for me, it's the issue of of consent. Yeah, I mean, uh, basically, uh, yeah, so contact, sexual contact without consent. And um, in the case, because we're talking sci-fi, that's also going to include sexual psychic assault in a lot of these cases. But it's very clearly used as comparable to sexual assault in... uh, the way that we would understand it in our world. So why is this important to talk about? I think the biggest reason is because our society as a whole does not deal well with it. And we've got a lot of really damaging ideas around sexual assault, which are reflected in various art, including Star Trek. And until we start managing to change the dialogue around sexual assault, we're never going to make the world better for assault victims or just make the world a better place in general so we don't have so many assault victims. And I think it's super important that our storytelling is really careful about the way that we present these stories because people are influenced by stuff like this and they're influenced by the the ways that it's explored. So I want to make sure Star Trek is being as thoughtful as possible when it comes to this stuff so the viewers and the fans and the creators can have a, a good dialogue about it. And unfortunately, I don't think Star Trek does a good job with this topic. And I want them to do better in the future. Yeah, for sure. I think that as we go through, we're going to be discussing some common rape myths that we see in our society and how Star Trek has unfortunately at times perpetuated them. And uh, it's been, I think, like heartening to see a lot of people come forward in recent weeks, but also really discouraging to see the backlash. And um, it feels like a good time to to look at our media and uh, think about how, you know, the messages that people get from these shows, like not just Star Trek, but um, I remember like in my undergrad, I did a paper on like violence against women in Law and Order SVU, and that the messages that people get from that show, given the number of viewers is going to be way more pervasive than any kind of like access to consent based sex ed in school. So, you know, it's important to look at what types of things are being taught. The other thing is that um, a lot of the stories that are coming out right now are against high level people in media and Hollywood. So we're talking about storytellers. We're talking about the people who shape and create the mythology of our modern lives. You know, Mm -hmm. we're talking Harvey Weinstein, like, there is no way to express how much influence he's had over modern storytelling. And then, mm-hmm. like, a lot of the, the the news producers and such that are have been accused of such things, like, that kind of access to the way we shape these narratives is, like, being handled by predators in some cases. So it's something that we really have to fight back on strongly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I don't know, for me, the issue of fandom and rape culture it's just been i feel like it's a conversation we've been having a lot like i know game of thrones is maybe one of the the better examples where people are like well was this historically accurate we need to show how violent things were even though it's an imagined world 
And then <laughs> this idea that, well, you know, we, we want to have sci-fi that's about a utopian future. And certainly we wouldn't be doing this kind of stuff in the future. But really, it, it comes back to we need to deal with it in the present. And fandoms, a lot of people in fandoms suck yeah. around this issue. And it's I think that's one of the most disheartening things is to see people within the fandom in the community who I'm just like, do you watch the show? Like, do you do you understand? Are you making those connections between what's going on now and what could happen if we don't get it together? It's funny that you bring up Game of Thrones, because actually at one point at Dragon Con, I was on a Game of Thrones panel, and I was the only woman, and I ended up having to be the only one that uh, wanted to discuss how the show frames rape, and it turned into a really uncomfortable hour for me, and at one point, this guy next to me was just going on and on about historical accuracy, and I was like, okay, where were the dragons? <laughs> yes, exactly. In the War of the Roses, where were the dragons? And the whole room laughed at him, and I don't think I, if I, if looks could kill, I would not be here today. So, <laughs> I think it's funny that you bring that up. But yeah, I mean, genre fiction has always been in a really weird place for this, because a lot of times, especially with sci-fi, we're looking forward into a future. With Star Trek, we're looking forward into a better future, or at least we're supposed to be. So... I mean, it's the same reason why we want to talk about how race is presented in the future and gender is because these are these are the ideals we're supposed to be striving for. So we need to make them ideals that we want. We, you know, the values that we want should be reflected. Yeah, I mean, I also I was also at a Game of Thrones panel at Geek Girl Con. I'm not on it, but um, a few years ago, and uh, there was a both the people on the panel were passionately arguing that it was okay the level of sexual assault in the show in the books because it's showing an amoral society and the downfall and degradation of society and how that's associated with sexual assault, and um, yeah, again. Not, I think like that's kind of a cop out. And every time, you know, like authors make choices, they're not just handcuffed by history or whatever, some, you know, objective idea of what society should, should have looked like at a certain time. But there are a couple times that Star Trek also does that sort of rape as a symbol of a barbaric society situation. The TOS episode of Private Little War sort of occurs to me where, um, we had a great email from Catherine who talked about, uh, there, that there being an attempted gang rape in that episode and how it really triggered her friend that she was watching with and she just didn't remember that scene. Um, there's also the return of the Archons where Tula's raped during the festival and, you know, the discussion about Yar's home planet. So yeah, I don't, does anyone have any thoughts on that sort of connection of like, oh, well, rape is a, um, a symbol of a, you know, an inf- a backwards society. I think it's just a really lazy storytelling device to like, it's a, it's a shorthand for these are bad people, but it's never really mm. explored in any meaningful way. So it becomes meaningless. Like the fact that you could watch a private little war and then forget that it, it just, it takes all of the teeth out of the issue. If that makes sense. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think that, I guess one of the issues for me is that barbaric becomes a stand-in often for, like, racialized folks and people mm. who are economically disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm sort of trying to think about that maybe in Star Trek a little bit more. I'd have to go watch the episodes again, but um, I think that there always is a little bit of an element of, yeah, the 
the the presumed backwardsness of you know societies that have often been systematically oppressed and then what comes out in those societies yeah yeah i mean well like code of honor like there's a lot of examples of uh episodes that aren't you know directly connected to sexual assault but are connected to sort of a like possession of women idea you could even make a case for the ferengi in that yep <sighs> well I feel like we should talk about what well, we should talk about Rand for sure, because she's one of the first and most visible cases in Star Trek. And there is particularly I'm thinking about the enemy within, which I know we've brought up at one point on the show before, at least, um, but definitely warrants a more thorough discussion of. Does anyone want to remind uh, people what this episode was about? Sure. So Enemy Within is a transporter accident episode where Kirk gets pulled into what is kind of described as his like good or positive traits and negative traits to two different people. So you've got good Kirk and evil Kirk. And he runs amok on the ship, Mm -hmm. you know, shenanigans ensue. And one of those shenanigans is evil Kirk trying to rape Rand, which um, gives us a very uh, upsetting rape scene or attempted rape scene. And then the aftermath, we get to see how well Starfleet deals with sexual assault on their ships. <laughs> so well. Yeah. Lucia, I know you watched this episode recently. Did you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I actually watched it for the first time because my TOS viewing has been pretty spotty. And I think one of the things that horrified me is that Rand's response was so visceral. Like, it was so horrifying, like, the close-ups on her face and the amount of distress that she was in. So it was clear that, you know, people on the set and maybe in the writer's room were talking about how somebody might respond to going through this. Mm -hmm. But then to have that framed by the rest of the episode, which was so dismissive of it, was really jarring for me because I felt like I I just – maybe I I haven't – seen that kind of emotional rawness um, in any of the other episodes that I'm thinking of. Yeah, I said this before when we were talking about it, that Grace Lee Whitney's performance is both a huge pro and a huge con of this episode, and that it's incredible and very well acted, but then that also makes it more upsetting to watch. The other thing is, is behind the scenes, she was having trouble getting to that place, so Shatner hit her across the face without warning. And she talks about that story as a good thing, like a fun anecdote of how he helped her get a good performance. And at no point does she think, hey, maybe it's not okay for my coworker to hit me across the face without my consent. So the whole episode and, like, reading about the episode and the behind the scenes of the episode and then also the way Grace Lee Whitney was treated on set mm-hmm. all makes for a very upsetting morass of crap. I don't know a be- mm-hmm. better way to say that because Grace Lee Whitney has also said that she was sexually assaulted by a Star Trek producer. So... Mm-hmm. It just makes the whole thing very upsetting. Um, for me, the most upsetting part is similar to Lucia's reaction to the uh, the way that it's so dismissive. Um, not just in Spock's infamous, famous, like, last line to her, where he implies that she must have, like, enjoyed it in some way, but especially since apparently their standard operating procedure is to put the victim of an assault in a room with her attacker directly yep. after the assault. 
So, like, say say Kirk, because in this in this scene afterwards, it's good Kirk, so he doesn't know what she's talking about. But they still mm-hmm. put him in a room with her while she's trying to tell her story. And you can see, like, she's acting it really well, where she can't look at him, she's turning away. Like, she's visibly tra- re-traumatized by her proximity to her attacker. And they don't seem to see any problem with, but, like, the first thing you should do is keep them away from each other. For a million different reasons. And so it's just really upsetting, because you would think that Starfleet would have a better... Protocol? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I realize it was the 60s, and I mean, I get all that. It's just, it's frustrating, because I would like to think that if this is something that would happen this far into the future, that humanity would have its shit together enough that they would know some really basic procedures on how to deal with this stuff. And it's just... Anyways, yeah, so that's that's my feeling on it. Yeah, and it wasn't even in that scene when she's basically being gaslighted into, like, oh, did it really happen? He doesn't have scratches on his face, blah, blah, blah. But it's like she's sitting in this chair, and all these men are standing around her, just staring at her. Yeah. And it was sort of, even the staging of the scene made me absolutely cringe. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to watch. I've seen it twice. I don't think I can ever watch it again. Like, it's that upsetting. It's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that and that is part is super upsetting. The part that bothers me the most, though, like that really gets under my skin was actually outlined pretty well in a listener comment from M on Facebook. And M said, the part of the enemy within that seems to rarely be criticized is how the part of Kirk that assaults Rand is called imposter Kirk as if he isn't actually Kirk. The good Kirk half is framed as the real Kirk. Um, which basically makes Kirk not responsible for what his beastly side did even though they acknowledge that and like argue that sorry i'm this is now not her comment <laughs> sorry so um that once again captain kirk isn't responsible for what his beastly side did while separated there's zero accountability and rand is expected to be just fine working under someone who assaulted her even to find that aspect of him quote unquote interesting and in addition to that point that m made is that the beastly side of him is reinforced as essential to his leadership that like the quote unquote good Kirk is basically unable to function as captain of the ship because he doesn't have the rapist side incorporated with him. So that's like a super messed up message that the same side that assaults Rand is the side of him that's necessary for leadership. And then once the two are incorporated, that side of him doesn't have accountability for his actions. Also, it seems like they feel like because it wasn't really Kirk or whatever, and here I'm using air quotes, that she should just go back to work as if she didn't experience Mm -hmm. trauma. But she experienced the trauma. It just was... I don't know, weird. <laughs> I don't know, like, she still was attacked. She still had to go through that fear. She still had someone she trusted turn on her and try and rape her. And she's just supposed to, just, I don't know, brush that off? Yep. I thought it was really weird how, in, I guess, the second half of the episode, where good Kirk is so, like, he's bonding with evil Kirk and is at his bedside and is, like, showing all of this tenderness and care... And there's zero tenderness and care towards Rand. Mm-hmm. And even at the in the last scene, he's like, oh, whatever, like, it's okay. Like, you don't have to apologize or thanks. And, like, totally cuts her off. Uh. And it's like, well, thank goodness I'm better. And then she just kind of, like, curls up into herself mm-hmm. and Spock's being a jerk. And that's the end. Yeah. Yep. 
And Spock was really creepy in that, like, for such a logical dude, like, the creepy, like, glance, mm. like, super lecherous. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, it's, I think, the low point of the Spock character <laughs> for me. This is his mm-hmm. worst moment, or at least one of them. Absolutely. Another Kirk rant or sort of related incident with involving Kirk, both Kirk and Rand was brought up by Brienne, um, about Charlie X when Charlie slaps Rand on the butt. And she's basically like, you can't do that. Uh, I don't know why. Just ask Captain Kirk. He'll tell you. And, uh, Brienne said that, you know, I liked she didn't stand for the slap on the backside, but hated the explanation Kirk gave for gave for why it was wrong. And I had to go look it up again because it's been a while since I watched. But Kirk basically asks uh, or says, well, um, or there are things you can do with a lady or Charlie that you are. Uh, there's no right way to hit a woman. I mean, man to man is one thing, but or man to woman or it's or well, it's another thing. Do you understand? Do you guys understand? Yeah, word. I mean, I guess I guess you could give them some credit for at least trying to discuss consent. But I feel like it's one of those moments where I want to pull out that Bart Simpson gif where he like has the cake that says at least you tried and then he throws it in the trash. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they aren't discussing consent because he says there's no right way to hit a woman. He's not saying if you and your partner are in a loving, (laughs) respectful, communicative relationship and you guys want to spank each other. As long as you talked it out, that's cool. But he's like, there's no right way to hit a woman. And therefore, it means apparently it's okay to slap men on the butt. Yeah, but here's the thing is, in that episode, he does have a discussion about consent with Charlie. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just that one line. It's not really part of it. But yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, that was a weird one. But I think at least not as, you know, horrific an episode as Enemy Within. Yay. Yay. (laughs) The bar is so low. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe, like, before we get too much further into it, uh, we did have a Facebook comment from Chris, who said, I presume the reason there are so many dodgy episodes is that it's an easy trope for lazy writers to pull drama out of. If so, are there other episodes that t- draw on the same type of drama but get it right without making it dodgy? So, not in this set of episodes for the original series in TNG, unfortunately. We sort of talked about before the show. But I guess it is important to say that, like, I don't think the argument we're making is that you should never show sexual assault in media. Like, that's not what we're saying. There is, There are ways to do it better, and we'll talk about some of those. And if you listen to our episode on uh, the Enterprise episodes Fusion and Stigma, um, we talk about the ways that fusion did quite a bit better than some other episodes in addressing this issue. Unfortunately, TOS and TNG really seem to miss the mark, I think, pretty often. Yeah, Andy, do you want to talk about Plato's stepchildren a bit? Sure. Um, I've always been kind of a weird apologist for this episode because a lot of people really, really hate it. And I actually think it's really interesting. Not necessarily good, but interesting. And one of the things that I find interesting about it is that um, Plato's stepchildren is the one with the infamous Uhura Kirk interracial kiss. And I had been looking forward to it because, I mean, the mythology that has sprung up around this kiss, rightly or wrongly, is very much that it was progressive, that, you know, it was a huge step forward, a huge milestone, and Trekkies are very proud of it in a lot of ways, which I understand. But then, like, when you actually watch it, 
It's a non-consensual kiss. And I find that really odd and kind of strange that, like, they they have this vaunted first kiss, interracial kiss, and it's not consensual. And then it's immediately followed by Kirk beating Uhura. And it's just, it's just, there are so many issues here that I find really interesting, especially Uhura being a black woman and Kirk being a white man and, like, the racial politics, not just, like, oh, it's interracial, but, like, the structures of power. And I also think it's very interesting that Uhura is put in the position where she's comforting Kirk during her own assault. And, yes, thoughts on that? I mean, I I just, I find it really fascinating. I've watched that scene, like, a million times, and every time I watch it, I feel like I pull new meaning out of it. Because... One of the worst things about sexual assault is that it takes what's supposed to be an act of love and twists it into something horrific. And so I think it's also interesting in that that episode that we have Chapel and Spock. Chapel would crawl over broken glass to make out with Spock. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't want to do it this way. And mm-hmm. so it takes something that she really wanted and twists it into something she hates. And I have always found that fascinating. Okay, go. Thoughts? I think for me kind of it reminded me of the ways that I grew up sort of not knowing what to look for in terms of a consent. I'm thinking about that really famous photograph of the sailor who's kissing the, I think she's a nurse mm-hmm. in Times Square. Mm-hmm. And that poster was everywhere. Like I've seen it so many times and people are like, it's so romantic. I mean, in that one, when you look at the, the, the their bodies and sort of the body language, you can clearly see that she's like, um, nope. But I think that the kiss between Uhura and Kirk is very much sort of, it's read completely out of context, Mm. but also that people think that that's super romantic. Like, I feel like that's a trope in cinema, even today, maybe not as much as sort of like 50 years ago or whatever, but that that's like the pinnacle of the romantic plot line is when this guy just like swoops this woman into his arms and forcibly kisses her without warning out yeah and to be fair i mean in this situation kirk is also not consenting so it's something that's Mm -hmm. happening to both of them but yeah i agree with you it's like i i i want to use the name of this trope but it's not super safe for work um in fan fiction there's a trope called fuck or die Mm -hmm. in which Mm -hmm. and actually we could probably talk about this trope when we get to our male assault episodes Mm -hmm. anyways there's a trope where you must, you're forced into a sexual Mm. situation. And the way it's used in fanfic is also pretty disturbing in that it's usually used as two characters that want to get together, but for whatever reason, always find reasons to not be together until the story forces them together. And it's usually framed as like, this is a way that you can get with the person that you've always wanted to get with without having to deal with your fear. And it's portrayed as romantic. And I feel like this is an example of that. Whereas it's, it's like, it, it's framed as like, do they really want to kiss? Is this, is this romance? Is this the beginning of Kirk Uhura? Is this sexual tension? Or is it just something horrible that's happening to them both? And they're just trying to make it through. Cause I read it the second way 
but a lot of people read it the first way, I think. Yeah, and I think that it's, uh, you know, it's telling there's a lot of accounts of how this, uh, of the filming of this episode and the censorship that followed and how, like, Shatner particularly pushed for the kiss to be kept in and Roddenberry pushed for it. But all through, throughout, there's sort of this, like, oh, well, it's okay that you had an interracial kiss because... Kirk didn't really want to. Yeah, I mean, when they're talking about the NBC signing off on it, they yeah. ended up signing off on it because it was non-consensual. Yeah, and that's messed up. I mean, it's the same thing as how, like, until really recently, you could only have same-sex relationships in Star Trek if they were in the Mirror Universe or, like, in put into a different host's body. So, like, it's sort of this covering for progressivism by using sci-fi elements to explain that it's not really a big deal. Yeah. So, yeah. It's super uncomfortable. Was there anything else on Plato's stepchildren? Uh, no. Although someday I would like to do a whole episode on Plato's stepchildren, because as I said, I find it fascinating. Oh, yeah. There's lots of other interesting aspects of it, for sure. Yeah. Not good, but uh, Vulcan eyebrow, fascinating. (laughs) I mean, they do wear some pretty hilarious outfits. Oh my god, and the singing? Yeah, and the eye makeup? Yeah. it's And like the part where Kirk has to act like a a horse or something? Yeah, it's... uh, It's it's, a highly GIF-worthy episode. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, So um, maybe I'll just quickly run through the list of the other CUS examples that were suggested either by listeners or Memory Alpha or our own memories. And if you want to jump in on any of them, great. Although I think that they're all like a little bit more um, sort of passing things. They're not like the focus of the story. So um, I mentioned Return of the Archons where you have Tula who is, uh, you're basically sort of told the festival is a time when everyone kind of abandons all rules and uh, she's kind of dragged off by her hair by this guy and uh, it's implied heavily that she's assaulted and she's really upset later. There's Shore Leave where you have fictional Don Juan attempts to rape a yeoman. There is Lars attempting to rape Uhura in Gamesters of Triskelion. And Chekhov threatening to rape Mara in Day of the Dove. So those were the other TOS examples. I think that maybe none of them is like super, super remarkable on its own, but they're remarkable for again, showing how it's like a way to sort of get drama out of a story without really doing any due diligence on the topic. Yeah. And in the case of like Chekhov threatening to rape Mara, there's um this thing where they're sort of all like being reduced to a more barbaric state. So it kind of goes back to that again, but also that this Mm -hmm. influence that they're under is making them more racist. So there is the possibility to have an interesting discussion about the idea of like wanting to as like rape as a weapon of war. So you have the Klingons in the Federation that are enemies in this situation. And uh, the more they're able to dehumanize the other side, the easier it is for them to use rape as a weapon, basically. Um, I think that it like it sort of t- is the tip of the iceberg of that issue, that one scene. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that was brought up by a listener is the Star Trek VI scene of Spock's mind meld with Valeris, which is not explicitly sexual, but certainly the reaction of the actress seems like very much like it is echoing a type of sexual violation. Yeah. It's definitely a violation. We don't know exactly, like we know he's probing for 
truth um, about the case, but she's she's actually like saying no when she's clearly in pain. So it's still a pretty disturbing scene to watch. It's uh, for me, it's the low point of Star Trek Six, for sure, which I otherwise love. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think the idea of of violation and and mind melt, and maybe this will lead us into TNG and violations. But like, I feel like you know, a lot of people look at sexual violence as like a purely is a site purely like that's purely physical, mm-hmm. but like when we look at all of the violence that people face, like online, mm-hmm. the kind of non-consensual like imagery that we see and that kind of stuff. So I feel like the sci-fi universe provides a really, really interesting way to look at how sexual violence and, and violation can come in so many different forms. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, so I mean, that is a good segue into TNG. Do you want to skip ahead to uh, the violations? We don't have to go in any order, but violations, I think, would be probably the most memorable TNG psychic assault episode. This is the one where you have sort of that family of telepathic people on the uh, ship, and Troy starts experiencing assaults, uh, like a vision that Riker assaults her, and the impact the trauma of this experience basically knocks her into a coma. And at the end of the episode, um, they start to suspect that, first of all, she's in a coma, so they can't ask her what happened. But then they start to suspect that there has been a psychic attack. And they suspect the father of the negotiators. But Troy is able to sort of unmask him and reveal that it's actually the son who has been using Riker's image to sort of get her to drop her defenses because she's into Riker and assault her. So, yeah. And actually in that episode, they do at the very end, the people say like, you know, it's been a long time since our people have experienced this form of rape. So they do call it a rape. Thoughts on this episode? Blech. (laughs) Yeah. It's super gross. And it's really like from the first scene in 10 forward, just like the dad practices really bad consent because he's constantly badgering people to let him probe their memories. And he doesn't seem to take no for an answer very well. He's like, oh, I'm sure that you'll enjoy it. It'll be fun. And everyone's like, um, I'm good. Thanks. So it's kind of surprising for me that by the end, Tarman, I think his name is, ends up being like, oh, I'm just so disappointed in my son. And like, this hasn't happened for 300 years on my planet. Like, well, you're also not that great at respecting people's boundaries. This is um, something that I always tell people that they need to watch out for, is uh, watching out for people who will not respect your nose about Mm -hmm. anything. And I mean, I'm talking small stuff. Mm -hmm. If they take your no as a reason to tell you all the reasons why your no is wrong, and convince you that you should be saying yes, and I'm talking about like, like, I, I don't want you to hold the door for me. Oh, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I don't want you to carry my groceries for me. Oh, no, I will. It's fine. I'll take it from you. That is all a really huge red flag. It means they don't respect your boundaries. And that can that's yep. a huge, huge, huge issue that can escalate. So always be really wary of that. But I think it's a good example of how we incorporate this into our everyday lives without it being assault. So, like... Forcing kids to hug their aunts when they don't want to be touched, like stuff like that. It's like small things where we're, because we're trying to be polite, we're forced into allowing people to do things that we don't want them to do. Mm -hmm. 
and then also shaming people who want to say no clearly and uh, pushing Mm -hmm. when people say no. So be careful if you're either noticing that behavior in another person or if you start noticing yourself doing that. Because it's really easy, especially since men are socialized to push. Like, we have taught you to do that. Our society has. So just be careful. No means no in all contexts, not just sexual. Yeah, there are some seriously irritating lines in this episode. One of them that bugs me is... So at first, when they think it's the dad, and they're like, basically ready to prosecute him. And then Picard says, I'm not sure we have any legal basis for such prosecution. Memory invasion is simply not a crime we've ever had to contend with. And I'm like, I do not buy that. I also think that if your memory invasion has a physical effect, like, I get that it's difficult to measure psychic effects, even though you know, clearly they're, you know, in this case, they're real and people have reactions, like you said, beyond the physical. I do not buy that you can, couldn't prosecute someone who memory invaded someone else into a coma. Yeah, word. Uh, so there's one. It's also super creepy. So then, like, Jev, the son, comes to talk to Troy after they think they're gonna arrest the father. And he basically, like, tries to assault her again. And, um... He's like, you're so beautiful, so fragile. And I'm like, it is super gross and uh, like undermining of Troy being awesome as usual. It's like really kind of damsel in distress-y. So I like that she slaps him. I also kind of like, so Picard at the end gives this big like pontificating speech where, you know, the basically earth was once a violent planet too um and but like just like you we evolved and we found better ways to handle our conflicts um and you're kind of rolling your eyes a little but um you know i mean i i hope so but um but then he says like i think no one can deny that the seed of violence remains within each of us we must recognize that because it's capable of consuming each of us and even though basically i think like that that is important because there's often this myth too about like sexual assault and bad apples and uh versus like recognizing that assault and like harassment on a similar continuum are so prevalent that it really isn't just like bad seeds uh that there it's really easy to you know to sort of treat people who commit assault as like dark shadowy beings and uh, minimize that people are more likely to be assaulted by people they know and trust, which Mm -hmm. is depressing, but it's important to put some responsibility on everyone to examine their own behavior and ensure that they're respecting other people's boundaries and seeking out consent. Absolutely. I I still, one of the things I was just thinking about is how when Troy, when they're in her quarters and they're trying to get her to remember and she grabs her hairbrush, but like she's the only one sitting down and everyone's standing around her, just like when the enemy within and she's like clinging onto her hairbrush and is clearly terrified, but there's no real sense of, I don't know, like genuine concern or like a recognition that She's not just providing information, she's reliving profoundly traumatic things. And then at the end, Tarman's like, oh, well, our, you know, our doctors, you know, are in touch with you to tell you how to get over it or whatever. Yeah. That's a, um, a reoccurring issue, I think. 
the lack of concern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was certainly raised by commenters as well about how one of the biggest problems Star Trek has, especially because it was until recently so episodic, is that it doesn't ever follow up on what it means to experience assault and the, you know, the support from other characters and the healing process. Like in this one, they're basically just like, we're sending doctors to heal you all. And they're like, great, thanks. So yeah, that was a comment that was specifically mentioned by Ashira on Facebook that there's no mention of how a character was impacted in the long run or the long-term effects on their professional and personal relationships. It goes on like nothing happened. Yeah, the only time I can think of the they actually tackling this is Picard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So another Troy one um, it, uh, where you have sort of a similar sleazy semi-telepathic dude is The Price. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit different. I would say it's like his main goal isn't to sexually assault her. It's to like push his negative feelings onto her. But because he's also seducing her at the same time and he's not being honest about who he is and his abilities, it's deceptive and not, you know, not informed consent happening. She's basically, like, duped by Devanani Ral, and um, she's just like, I don't know, I'm so drawn to you, I'm constantly thinking of you, and turns out he's... A creep. Total creep, and just trying to make himself more successful in negotiations. One thing that I'd like to point out is I Troy has always been like the the number one go-to for these stories. And I've always wondered why that is. And I can't come up with a better reason than the fact that she is kind of the avatar for traditional femininity on this ship. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. I mean, if anybody else has some answers, maybe just they didn't know what else to do with her. But to me, it, it seems like she's being almost punished for being hyper-feminine in this context. Yes. And also, sorry, just a little correction. I briefly was mixing this up with um, Man of the People. So this isn't the one where the negotiator's dumping his negative feelings on her. He's just trying to, like, read her thoughts and get an edge in the negotiations. Yeah, he's just shady. Yeah. Sleazy. Her favorite kind of dude. Yeah. But yeah, you're totally right. There's this thing where, I mean, she often, as a kid, I, like, romanticized her because she reminded me of, like, sort of the princess in the castle who needed to be saved all the time. And, you know, definitely we see in some episodes she has the skills to save herself, but a lot of the time she ends up just, like, falling for these dumb dudes that exploit her. And even Marina Sirtis in 93... It said in an interview, like, it didn't make any sense to me that Troy would fall for this guy so heavily that she wouldn't be able to see what a sleaze he was. It made Troy look uninsightful, which is not the case. She's too aware in general to have been taken in by this guy. Troy often gets used as sort of like, Picard always uses her to sense out danger. Like, come to the, come to the bridge. There's this ship. Do you sense anything? And so he actively uses her to sort of sense out danger, but doesn't end up protecting her or having any sort of mechanisms in place to keep her safe or even be concerned about her safety. So she ends up just being used as sort of bait for a lot of sketchy people that they meet. Yep. Yep. Should we talk about Nemesis at this point as well? I mean, we're on the Troy kick, might as well. Yep. 
Oh. Hashtag never watch Nemesis. Yeah, if you're a patron of ours, you may have listened to our watch along, uh, which was Andy's first time watching Nemesis, and I think was a very difficult experience, um, as it was for many of us the first time watching Nemesis. Yeah, if you ever want to hear what it sounds like when someone is actually triggered, that is uh, very interesting. Like, it's kind of interesting that we, we got that on tape, I guess you could call it. My unvarnished reaction from going from having a fun night with my friends to, like, trying not to cry throughout the next hour and, like, being very upset. Yeah. Um, so in Nemesis, you have the Viceroy, who is the Riemann dude, and he's helping Picard's clone, Shinzon, psychically assault Troy, again by using Riker's image. Um, like, they're... Basically, they've just got married and they're going to have a sexy night, but then it's not actually Riker. It's actually Shinzon who's having sex with her in her brain. And it's freaking terrifying. Yes. And yeah. And that's another thing where it's like, how would you even go back to after, especially after that happens twice, where like you think you're sleeping with Riker? How would you ever be able to sleep with Riker again? Like, good guy, but, like, that is a a super traumatizing experience that you're just supposed to, like, get over. Yeah, and to me, yet again, it's kind of like the Rand thing, where they're like, there's no... Yeah, she's in sickbay, and they're all standing around her, and she's, like, crying, sort of, and she's saying, like, it was a violation, like, she can't really bring herself to say, like, she's kind of euphemizing it, and, uh... Riker wants to go punch someone because he's a man's man. And then she asks for time off and Picard says no. And I really hate that. Yeah, I think that's the part that might hurt me the most because it's like, it's the moment where Picard is our hero. Yeah. And he's like, I know what's best for you. Not only is he super patronizing, but he doesn't seem to care about her well-being at all. And that's just so anti-Picard to me. I just, it makes me so angry. Yeah, he's basically like, I need you too much on the bridge. And I think that we're supposed to read that as like, he knows what's best for her. She doesn't actually need the time off. She just feels maybe ashamed or guilty. And that actually what she probably needs is just to get back to work. And it's like so good of Picard to continue to trust her. That's what I, I sensed like the message we were supposed to get from that. But the message I got is someone who's just been attacked, asked for a bit of time off, And you said no, because you didn't trust that she really needed it. Yeah, for me, that really reinforced, I guess, like the militarized structure of Starfleet, Mm -hmm. where it's very much like things happen in the line of duty. And when you're done your tour, you can, that's when you're allowed to fall apart and be completely traumatized. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, she's the, she's a counselor, like, not only personally, is she trying to articulate her experience and what she needs, but professionally like she knows this yeah she's more than aware of what happens to people when they experience violence and that like can she have a day off yeah and i know that some people appreciate this this movie because at the end of the day she uses her abilities to get revenge like she she's asked or she sort of comes up with the idea, but then, you know, Riker's like, are you sure? And she's like, yes, I'm sure that um, she can basically find the ship and direct their torpedo psychically. 
And she has like, it's a pretty powerful moment where they actually use very similar TOS lighting where they just like light her eyes. Um, and she's like very upset and she basically focuses in and like fires the torpedo and says some message about like basically remember me, I think, or something like that. This is, you know, basically got you back. And, um, that is powerful. I just wish it hadn't happened in the first place after she'd already been assaulted like 18 times. And maybe there was a more sensitive way of having the whole thing done that still resulted in her taking agency back because the rest of it was not super strong. Yeah. Ugh. Poor Troy. Yeah. The other Troy episode, which is a totally different theme, but we've done a whole episode on it, is The Child. So we probably won't go too much into this, but does anyone want to talk about The Child? Uh, any thoughts on that before we move on to the other TNG stuff? I think for me, the biggest <laughs> the biggest thing that pisses me off about that episode is that it's like, I just wanted a learning experience, and I thought that I would get it through your body. <laughs> and like, it's just like, women's bodies are not sites for- Tourism alien creatures and or exactly tourism and i think that's the thing that really really pissed me off that it was like i was just here to learn some stuff thanks and then left her not only violated but like emotionally devastated over this loss yeah andy did you read want to read the comment from katie katie says the episodes where troy is mind raped have always been hard to watch so hard to watch that i have never analyzed them I just realized that in the episode The Child, they never even acknowledge the assault, and they act like Riker has more to be hurt about than Troy. Accurate. Yep. So if you want to hear more about The Child, um, including the ridiculously bad song that I wrote to the tune of What Child Is This?, um, you can listen to our episode all about The Child, and we'll link to it in the show notes. And then you can hear us complain in much more detail about that and all the weirdness about it. So there are a few more examples. Oh, okay. This just a really quick Troy example before we are done with Troy is Menage Troy, where the Ferengi take away the Troy women's clothing. That's just a a quick example. But you know, it's hilarious because they're the Ferengi. (laughs) It's it sucks too, because Uh. the episode is so horrible. And then you've got that scene of Picard doing Shakespeare that's so amazing that it almost makes that episode worth it, but I mean, if that episode had just been Picard doing Shakespeare, it would have been a good episode. (laughs) Yes. I, as like a longtime Riker Troy shipper, I watched the very first scene where they kiss in the garden on Ryza, and then I just fast forward right to the end where he's doing (laughs) Shakespeare. (laughs) I like it. It's a very short but awesome episode. (laughs) So... Um, another example that I wanted to talk about is a matter of perspective, which is TNG's sort of mm-hmm. attempt to do Rashomon and is super weird. This is the one where Riker is accused of assault and murdering a scientist. And it, they tell the story of the crime from the like three different perspectives. And in this case, it is kind of problematic. Does anyone else want to talk about this one before I dive into my rant? Just that it really perpetuates a lot of stereotypes about like false reporting. Yeah. That, that's my main takeaway from it. Like, ew. 
And also the idea that because Riker is a good guy to everybody else, it doesn't mean that he could have he couldn't possibly have done this. Yeah, it's just like Scotty and yeah, Wolf exactly. The it's like okay, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you need to throw like immediately go. Obviously, Riker's guilty, but him being nice to you does not make him innocent. So just to keep that in mind. <laughs> Yeah, so in this episode, um, the scientist's wife, Manua, accuses him of assaulting her. And there's this, like, pretty, uh, I think, important point where Troy says, I don't sense any deception from her. So you know that she is, she's convinced she's right. She's convinced she was assaulted. But then Riker's basically like, I didn't do it. And Troy's like, I also know you're telling the truth. So it, and also we know because Riker's a good guy and Riker's the star of the show that he didn't do it. So it, it reinforces this myth that like women lie about being raped in order to deflect shame and suspicion from themselves. And it implies that a woman could be objectively lying about being raped, even if she 100% believes that she was assaulted, which is super, super, super problematic because then there is like literally no way yeah. to win. Like, there's literally no way to prove, even, like, if you took all the lie detector tests in the universe, you could still be lying. And uh, it's just, like, when there's already so much suspicion at, thrown on women who report assault to add to it that you don't even have to know you're lying, you could still be lying, is really harmful. Yes. Yeah, I think what was, <clears throat> I find that one of the, like, most disturbing episodes in a way, just because, I mean, Riker is not great with women and boundaries a lot of the time. <laughs> but, like, in the way that Manuel recalls it, he openly threatens, you know, he's like, well, who's going to believe you? Blah, 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 blah. Don't say anything about it. And so her and her husband are like, well, what the hell do we do? Like, our project is going to be defunded <laughs> if we if we talk about it. But yeah, I mean, I do think that it was really sketchy that, you know, Riker's like, oh, I wouldn't do anything. And Troy reaches over and is like, I know you wouldn't, Will. It's like, you don't know shit. Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe he's your Imzadi, but maybe he's also not so great when he's not around you. Yeah, there's also this thing where, so she, Manua, 100% believes that she was assaulted. And um, at the end of the episode, because they've proven Riker's, they have ostensibly shown Riker didn't do it. No one cares that she might actually still have like trauma to process. So that's messed up. We had a, a good comment from um, Matthias via Facebook that um, says, considering the episode title, they probably didn't intend to imply that either one lied, but rather to show that people perceive things differently. The problem is that the two accounts would have had to be way more alike with subtle differences for that to work. So basically, he says that it could have been used to explore how a situation can feel threatening to one person, but not the other. Like, for example, the way that there's I think a lack of understanding about how um, a lot of women can feel threatened when being asked out and like feeling like you, like you were saying, Andy, about like having to be nice and to try to deflect or uh, to uh, diffuse that threat. Um, so it could have explored that type of disconnect uh, versus the, you know, getting into this sort of like he said, she said, and really, could be anyone's, like, anyone's guess what really happened, but we know it wasn't Riker. (laughs) 
So, yeah. So they could have explored actually like healthy consent and like understanding socialization and threat, but like, nope. And it was so bizarre because it, I mean, I guess the whole case hinged on whether or not Riker murdered somebody, but it's like, he could have been innocent of that and also still assaulted someone. (laughs) Like there are two things going on, but they just chose to completely not address the second potential crime. So the time that Crusher experiences assault is a little harder to discuss because it's Sub Rosa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this can be seen as rape by deception. First of all, she's asleep when Ronan, Ghost Candle, first comes to her. And he claims to be a spirit who only wants to come become one with her. But then we learn that he's really an energy being who needs her as an, quote, organic host to maintain molecular cohesion. See, the problem with this episode is it's so over-the-top ridiculous, it's hard to take assault seriously. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, like, I 100% agree that there are definite consent issues here, but also she's, like, orgasming to a candle while green light and fog and, like, roses and Scottish bagpipes are happening, and your senses are overwhelmed. Yeah. I think, you know, everyone should have just learned, didn't I go into the hoose? Don't I go into the hoose? Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, just to be clear, it is assault. It is, I think, so, yeah, like, I agree with you. It's, like, the most ridiculous premise ever. So I don't see this one as, like, I don't think it's a good representation of assault, but it's also not, like, the most harmful one in the history of Star Trek. But it's also, like, intergenerational Yeah, that's assault. super weird. Like, when I stop to think about, like, that's really... That's really a problem. Yeah. Uh, I would I would just really love to read Grandma's Sex Diary. Because that's hilarious. Apparently, apparently you can forget she's your grandma when you're reading it. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, she's not my grandma. She's Crusher's grandma. So I can read her sh- about her shenanigans. I'm sure if someone sh- hasn't written the fanfic of the uh, Felicia Howard sex diary, then <laughs> they need to write that stat. Uh, this is fanfic we're talking about. It's definitely been written. Yes. So uh, I didn't want to finish with that one because it's so ridiculous. So I think the last one we have to discuss is Yar. So we have this situation around mm-hmm. rape gangs. We have the situation around Sela uh, being the product of rape. And we have the Naked Now. The Naked Now is interesting because I feel like you can read that as dubious consent between both, on both the part of Yar and Data. Because mm-hmm. Yar, because she's under mm-hmm. the influence. And then Data, because does he really have the ability to consent? I don't know. That's questionable. That's something that you could discuss. I mean, I think that maybe he can, but he also doesn't really get a chance to. She kind of jumps him. Yeah. So the whole thing just is super creepy to me on both sides. Yeah, I would say, like, Data probably has more ability than her. We had some uh, an interesting discussion on our Facebook page about this where um, some commenters were saying that at this point they didn't they thought he was already sick with the weird water virus, but I think it's implied he doesn't actually – he gets it from ER. But uh, clearly, like, at the end of the day, she really regrets it, and she – didn't really have the ability to consent given the state that she was in. So, but it's, uh, 
not really clear like what data's agency is. Yeah, and I also just don't like the way they dehumanize him. Like he's fully functional. Like basically mm-hmm. describe him mm-hmm. like he's a human-sized dildo. And I don't I don't do yeah. that at all. I mean, the whole point of Data's arc is, is he human? And I think almost everyone falls on the side of, if he's not human, he's close, and he's a person. And But the way they yep. describe him in that is, is, is like, super dehumanizing and gross. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any other thoughts on Yar? Um, every time the rape gangs come up, I want to stab something. Yeah, I forget. Did we? We I know we talked about that, and we also talked about the Sela thing. Was that in like our TNG women episode, or um, or the, the Romulan women episode? Maybe because that's super disappointing. It just it's like really sucks that I'm definitely in the camp of people who feel like it reverses the success of yesterday's Enterprise to us to an extent to be like. And then she got, she was going to go get the death that she deserved as like a hero and a Starfleet officer. Except for then she was kidnapped and raped and her daughter joined the Romulans and ran away and attacked her family or her, like, you know, Star Trek family. And Um, was murdered. Yeah. Yep. So uh, in one timeline, murdered by a goo monster, and the next timeline, held as a prisoner, raped and murdered. Yeah. Cool. Not a fan. Way to go, Star Trek. We do know that wasn't Denise Crosby's preferred storyline, that she wanted Sela uh, to be her and Castillo's baby that was kidnapped and raised by the Romulans, which would have been really cool. Still support that idea. Uh, yeah. And the Rape Gang's mention is, like, yeah, it's it's super lazy. It's, um, I mean, it's we were watching Farpoint recently, and it's kind of powerful to see Yar, like, stand up and talk about how things were, you know, the Federation saved her from her planet. But the just it's like kind of thrown away as a throwaway mention so often and just lazy yeah 100 (sighs) percent. yep all right well that covers all the examples on our list how are people feeling does anybody else need a really relaxing bubble bath yeah yes i was gonna get both cats to snuggle pile me (laughs) yeah so it is possible to do these stories well. Certainly in recent years, there's been more like independent media that has, I think, done a better job and like uh, documentary storytelling, even some more popular media. Mad Max. Yeah. Jessica Jones. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's possible to do this well. And uh, we'll get to some marginally better examples in our part two, which we'll do in a while from now, we're going to take a break because it would be too much to try and do all of, you know, this was kind of draining, but um, hopefully also a little cathartic. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the things we talked about or what Star Trek should have done better? Take care of yourselves. Yeah. Yes. Super important. And thanks, seriously, thanks everyone for your comments. It helped a lot to have so much engagement on this topic and uh, to know that people were interested in thinking about it and also concerned about some of the examples in the past. And uh, people also raised some examples about Voyager and uh, some other uh, enterprise. So we'll uh, we'll get to those in a future episode, as well as, like we said, uh, cases where uh, men are the victim of assault in Star Trek, because there are a uh, definitely a fair number of those. Not quite as many, but enough to show some sort of concerning patterns. So... 
Yeah. All right. Uh, well, so Lucia, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This was a great as a weird. Yeah, I was going to say like, usually you would be like, this was so fun. Thanks. But maybe not fun. It was interesting. Fascinating. Fascinating. No, it was really good. I mean, I think that one of the, one of the things that I love about science fiction and fiction in general is that sometimes it gives us a safe place to talk about difficult mm-hmm. issues and to be able to criticize things. Um, and then we can move those critiques into what we're doing in our regular lives in our society. So, so yeah. Yep. But I will be taking a bubble bath and eating chocolate very soon. All right. Well, um, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet or what other work are you doing that you want to tell people about? Anything other final words? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Empathy Warrior. And I'm going to be launching a research blog soon um, about perpetrators mm. of sexual assault and how they are represented in the media. So I will be doing that very shortly. Cool. Well, if you send us the link, we will tweet it out. Awesome. Um, and Andy, where can people find you? Easiest place is on Twitter at First Time Trek. Uh, I'm live tweeting my way through Star Trek. And I'm Jara, and you can find me at Jara Penguin. That's J A R R A H Penguin, or on Tumblr at TrekkieFeminist.com. And if you'd like to contact our show, you can find us on Facebook. We are uh, facebook.com slash women at warp. We are at women at warp on Twitter. We are at women at warp.com the, uh, for our website and blog. And you can also email us at crew at women at warp.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>